Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old Macafenas. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So... We haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. If you've got myself one of the bigger guys, you can't be going slim fit. How much stick would you get from the press if you picked him? <laughs> he did about 30 hours straight of boozing, I think. that. Well, Beef Johnson walks out with his European team. The Pope is uh, a big fan of cricket. I mean, it's probably one of the most insane things I've ever seen in golf. We like to have a good time. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'm Andrew Beef Johnston. And I'm John Robbins. Welcome to Beef's Golf Club. All right, mate. How's it going? Oh, beef. Oh, what a week I've had. Uh, It's going well. Thanks, mate. Been on the phone to the European Tour, the PGA Tour, and, well, I've not picked up yet, but I had a missed call from Liv. Um, So I've got a lot of options because, as some of our listeners will know, the video is out. Uh, When we met, that's now up on YouTube on the Bad Golf channel. Uh, how are you feeling, Beef? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, it was such a fun day. Obviously, the first time we met, I mean, it, it was such a good laugh, man. So the plan was for Beef and I to meet at his home course, which is North Middlesex, and Beef was going to caddy for me for nine holes to see what score I could shoot. Um, but Beef, the the thrill of competition um, after so long out with injury proved too much to ignore, didn't it? Oh, 100%. It was literally the day after I got my thumb clicked back in place. And they said, yeah, I could go and go and play, be careful. And when we stood up on that first tee and I started sort of swinging a golf club, I was like, well, I'll just hit a few shots and still caddy. And then we sort of teed off and we were like, well, all right, we'll have a game of match play. And then I thought, well, you're off 13. Let's do a shot a hole. And then by about three holes, it was a fierce game off scratch. It was the most remarkable round of golf I've ever experienced. Like, I basically played out of my skin. I played better than I've ever played before. You obviously have not swung a driver in like nine months. So it's not it's not a tour pro versus a 13 handicapper. In uh, On paper it is, but in reality it wasn't. But what it was, was... I, I guess sort of scintillating drama. It was, um, you know, I, I've always, I'd had those moments, a couple of moments recently where I'd had really bad front nines and then I'd played back nines like two or three over. I always knew I had something in me. So for it to happen whilst you were there to give me advice and stuff was amazing. 
But also for me as like an amateur golfer, just to experience what your swing's like is amazing. And I don't know if you can explain why this is, but when you hit a ball, it doesn't feel like you're hitting it hard at all. So you might hit a sort of a, a wedge 115 yards that I would have to really, really hit like two clubs up from that higher. And it looks like I'm swinging really fast. What is it that makes your swing look so gentle and yet it goes so far? The first thing that comes to my head is probably I'm about four stone heavier than you. <laughs> but I don't think there's that because at any, <laughs> any like pro golfer or scratch golfer, when you look at them, you think, how the hell do you carry, say, a 9-9 150 yards? Because it just looks like you're just turning. But all of us have done it every day for years and years and years. It's just, it's so ingrained what you do and it's technique based. Yeah, it's the timing. Yeah, 100%. If you watch Federer play tennis and you look at his timing, you'd never look like that on a tennis court, would you? But I mean, as as a, it's not the traditional way for a pro golfer to return from injury. You know, your, your physio and your manager would never say, knock it up with a golf YouTuber and a comedian and see how it goes. So how did you find it? Because I think like what a lot of people have said, we've had so many comments on the video. Uh, this is from Henry Honda. If the world was full of beefs, the world would be a better place. What an absolute legend. This is from Emma Cutis. Andrew, superstar, super gent. No other pro golfer would allow cameras to the first round after months out. So many people saying what an absolute stand-up guy you are for for like letting us film that and all the way around just being such good company and being so positive and really encouraging. Yeah, I think look, it's normal, right? We all come back from injuries. It's, I don't really care. I've played I've played worse golf on tour in front of camera than that in some sense. Do you know what I mean? You're going to hit bad shots or whatever. I'm not fussed about that at all. What I was really excited about was the way you were playing. I was just hoping you could keep it going. And like some of the shots when you coming in and um, chipped in on one hole, I was buzzing. I was absolutely buzzing for it. Like, obviously I still wanted to beat you and have like the bragging rights, but watching you play like some of your best golf you've played, that's exciting for me as well. And it's a feel good factor for me as well. So it was just, it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. Oh, but thanks, next man. time when I'm fully fit, yeah, yeah. I will pull your pants down and hammer you. <laughs> <laughs> can you think of any pros you know who in that situation would maybe have not reacted as positively and maybe turn around at the end and said that ain't going anywhere no one is seeing that yeah i reckon <laughs> <laughs> yeah i reckon not fit fully fit i reckon you might get the same thing yeah well, uh, folks, if you want to check it out, go to uh, Bad Golf on YouTube, uh, search for that and do uh, like the video and subscribe and share it with people because it's a great introduction to the vibe of Beef's Golf Club as well. Um, but we've got an incredible guest today, haven't we? I mean, this is like, I was shocked that we got this guest on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so exciting. I mean, look, we've got a Ryder Cup episode today. We could have got a player on. But I thought, well, let's head to the top and let's get a captain. Let's get Luke Donald, the captain of Europe on today. So shall we welcome Luke into the clubhouse? Yeah, let's get him in there. So, John, today we've got our second golfer on. But again, not just any golfer. 
we've got former world number one and captain of next Ryder Cup, Luke Donald on. Beef, I, I don't actually believe you. When you said we were having a Ryder Cup special, I thought, well, maybe maybe he'll get the guy who designed the flags at the K Club. <laughs> maybe that's as high as we can shoot. And you've pulled out not just not just someone with an outstanding individual Ryder Cup record, but the man at the centre of 2023 Ryder Cup. I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> Luke, how are you, man? <laughs> Guys, how are you? Yeah, beef has some pull, John. I mean, obviously. Um, Does he really? Pulled beef. Pulled beef, yeah. Luke, welcome to Beef's Golf Club. Thank you. Um, it's, it's an honour to have you here and also at a, at a very busy time for you of the sort of relatively recently installed uh, European Ryder Cup captain, What's an average day for you at the moment? It's been pretty full on, to be honest. Yeah, a couple uh, months into it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people don't know, but being a home Ryder Cup captain in Europe, you have a lot of control, actually. There's a lot of things that go into it. So I guess more than, especially being home, you have a lot more um, control of what's going on, you know, in terms of we, we went through the qualification system, uh, the criteria, we went uh, a lot, in coming up with a new uh, event called the Hero Cup, which is going to be in January. Um, you know, I went to Italy and had a bunch of meetings in terms of what we're going to do, what 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 the, the whole week looks like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the build-up, you know, where the dinners are going to be, the gala dinner in Rome. You know, my wife's kind of taken a taking that part on but uh you know uh you know how the course is set up you know where the stands are going you know how close the stands are going to some of the greens you know it's it's amazing like uh the detail that goes into organizing a Ryder Cup because it really is a global event and um yeah it's it's been fun it's been fun to be uh kind of thrust into this position and um I'm you know I've been I've been very energized by it and and and, and extremely looking forward to it and obviously feel very privileged to have this this opportunity so how much of the decisions you're making are based around giving Europe an advantage and how much of them are just like for organisational reasons or aesthetic reasons? Or are you always thinking, if the stand is there, I think Rory's going to like that. That's going to get him in the right mindset. <laughs> Everything has a reason. Everything is trying to give us an advantage. I mean, we, we just, we know this is, Beef knows this is a golfer, you know, you're, you know, the competition's so good that you're just looking for those little incremental little things that might, might help, might swing it in your favor. So, you know, when it comes to stands, yeah, we get to figure out the first tee and, and how loud that is. And obviously being at home, you know, you want it as loud as possible. So, you know, you're trying to create an atmosphere that uh, you know maybe maybe makes the Americans just slightly intimidated. I don't know, but you know you want it loud. You want the crowd. You want the the home home team to feel that support to get up for it. You know to be you know really looking forward to those first few holes because that, that's important. It's important to get off to a good start. So yeah, obviously like the golf course and the atmosphere is all designed Europe's favour, obviously. But what about all like the clothes? The food, the dinners, the the dressing rooms, the players' lounge. Do you have to literally go through like everything and design like everything? Yeah, absolutely everything from start to finish. I mean, uh, yeah, the clothes. Uh, you know, when I came on as captain, there's a contract with Laura Piana, so you know I couldn't decide which brand that that's that's been contracted out for for a few Ryder Cups, and I think maybe through either this one or or next year, uh, two years in. in 
in uh, New York, but uh, certainly I had, I had meetings. I've had uh, two or three meetings with Laura Piana, just talking about through the, the, the designs, the textures, the fit, um, you know, what we're wearing off the course, you know, some casual stuff uh, at nights to just, uh, you know, for the, let the guys chill. Um, but yeah, everything in the team room, you know, how, how, what, what kind of theme we want, what I'm trying to get across the team, what kind of culture I'm trying to build. Um, you know, it's, it's so much that goes into it. It's really, uh, a lot of people think you just turn up, you know, in 11 months time and, uh, you know, the guys are there and you, you get on with it and hopefully the best team wins, but the, there's a lot going in, going on, uh, behind the scenes. Obviously, Luke, I haven't played in a Ryder Cup. So could you describe me the team room, uh, and what you see is when you walk in? Well, again, that's part of the decision of the captain is to kind of figure out, um, what kind of theme or what kind of tone you want to set as a captain. You know, it's trying to create something that is really getting the, cl the players, you know, amped up and motivated and, um, you know, ready to compete, really. Um, you know, there's been different themes over the years and um, my, my one will certainly, you know, be on, on some similar lines. But, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that go into kind of the decision making. Uh, and one of them being, you know, what the team room looks like, you know, what, what kind of message you're trying to send and all, all that stuff, really. Uh, you know, last year it was obviously about make it count. You know, it's like the number, uh, how many people had played in a Ryder Cup before you. Um, you know, mine was 131. So only 130 people before me in the history, the 100-year history, roughly, of the Ryder Cup, only 130 people had played before me. So, you know, all these kind of things you, you have to think about. Um, obviously, mine will be different to that, but um, it, it's, a, it, it's a really a fun process to get right. So when you say theme, you mean like themed around specific motivational things. You don't mean like, oh, it's 80s night or it's kind of <laughs> sci-fi. Yeah, more, more motivation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's been your favourite team room? What's been your favourite dressing room where you've walked in and just everyone's just gone, oh my God, I'm so pumped. This is amazing. Uh, I don't know. I think Thomas Bjorn did a good job in in, um, in Paris. Just, just the pictures they used. Yeah, I heard McGinley did a great job. I didn't play that one in, in Glen Eagles. Um, you know, even my first one, 2004, I remember, you know, watching lots of videos of me making parts and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, it gets you, it gets you pumped up, it gets you in the, in the right frame of mind. And, um, there's, there's lots of different ways to do it, but, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we've already got our heads together, got a great team behind me, uh, on DP World Tour and the European Tour, you know, behind the scenes that, that work on all this, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's a fun, fun, fun journey. So it's a bit like if like Alex Ferguson in his pomp was being asked what colour he wanted the dressing rooms and what sandwiches he wanted and what. I mean, it's a, it's an insane amount of responsibility for you. Is it then quite frustrated when all people ask you about his captain's picks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, captain, obviously having twelve good guys is is important too. Um, you know, you, you know, ultimately. There's only so much I can do, but uh, you know it, it's in my nature to want to give up, give my team the best opportunity. Um, you know, and, and then it's up to them create the right atmosphere to, for them to form form at their highest level. Um, but there's a lot of things that can go into that, but, and and twelve very different individuals. You know, with different personalities, different egos. You know, some like to have people around. Some people kind of want to be a little bit more on their own. And you've got to manage that. And, um, you know, again, that's part of the next journey for me, the 11 months, is to get to know 
the potential players that are going to be in my team, understand what makes them tick, understand that, you know, okay, maybe they like a, a sandwich at night and go to bed early. Um, you know, who knows? Um, you know, but, you know, creating that, that, that ethos and that, that kind of right culture, I think, is, uh, is part of the captain's job. Yeah, I think clothing's really important. That's got to be a fine balance. Like, if you're going to be fitting Rory, that's fine. He looks like a mannequin. You could stick him in JD Sports, whatever, as a mannequin. But if you've got myself one of the bigger guys, you can't be going slim fit. I think they're allowed different sizes. Different sizes, yeah. But there are, there are. Um, yeah, it's funny you said that, Beef. But we, there are, there are, there have been a few things that have come up with my discussions with the clothing that you know we had to work through because I, I brought up that point. You know that there are going to be different shapes and sizes of players on this team. You know, I remember, I think John Rahm. You know, he he has a he's he's a very big, strong guy. Has big legs. I think he split his pants. Last, last year in Whistling Straits at some point. Um, you know, so, yeah, these are little challenges you're going to have to be to be careful with. So, you know, um, you know, there's lo- lots of things going on. Um, uh, yeah, some people, you know, not going to look great with lots of stripes. You know, some people would rather have a, a more of a plain shirt or, you know, the fabrics and how the fit is. So it's amazing. There's the little details that you, you have to kind of consider when going through all this stuff. The Ryder Cup has been a sort of peaks and trough of clothing design over the years. Most of the really bad ones are American outfits from the sort of uh, 90s and early 2000s. Have you have you got sort of certain outfits that stick in your head and stuff that you've been keen to avoid? <laughs> uh, I mean, from, from our standpoint, I mean, I, I do think back to 2006 Ryder Cup that I played in, you know, Woozy was... <laughs> Was these was the captain, and uh, I actually pulled up one of the pictures. Look, this is us on the after we won. I mean, I mean, come on, let's 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 have a little talk about this. We've got pink blazers and uh, you know white mock turtlenecks. You know, I, I'm not sure why I went with pink. I think it was meant to be sort of a shade of red to go go with the uh, the the Welsh flag. But you know, that week we had for the gala dinner, we had white tuxedos with a red bow tie. Uh, with the pink to finish, I think we had green, sort of light lime green blazers for the opening ceremony. There was a lot going on off the course. I think on the course it was fine, but you know we we've had a few uh, we had a few uh, Ryder Cups where it was like some questionable decisions. <laughs> so as as a player, do you turn up then, and you find out that week this is what you're going to wear? So once you found out about the turtlenecks and like. I'm going to call it a salmon suit. Salmon, yeah. And you turn up and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Somewhat. I mean, you know, a lot of the potential players throughout the year will, will have fittings. You know, I think there'll be one in Dubai at the finals, you know, where Laura Piano will be there and they'll start fitting to the guys that are potential on that Ryder Cup team. So they'll start understanding what the, the on-course clothes are. But the off-course stuff... Um, is a little bit of a secret. Yeah, you don't really know what what uh, what the captain and uh, and the team behind that has, has really decided. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a little bit of a a little bit of a surprise and a shock. But uh, you know, I, I'm sure uh, I can guarantee you we will no be no uh, pink salmon uh, jackets uh, in 2023. <laughs> when you look back at your record as a player in Ryder Cups, I mean, the the numbers are fantastic you you've performed so well year on year are there sort of things you remember as a player 
that you're sort of selecting in your head to go, oh, I want a little bit of what that captain did. I, I want to avoid what that captain did. And are you trying to sort of create the perfect Ryder Cup captain or are you just doing what comes naturally to you? Well, to be honest, I, you know, I always thought one day down the road, maybe not this quickly, uh, that I, I would love to be a Ryder Cup captain. And so, yeah, I think you're trying to really pick bits that you like from certain captains, you know, things that maybe didn't work. Um, you know, I certainly think the European tour have a pretty good template for success. Obviously, in the last 30 years, we've, we've won it quite a lot. Um, we've had a lot of success at home. Um, so, you know, there's, there's certainly some good framework there that uh, you can build off. Um, and, and then, you know, it's just you're putting your own little bit of a spin on it, um, you know, and that's your personality, how you are, um, you know, but you're, you're really trying to learn from, from all those experiences and, and take the best from, from everything and, and, and make it kind of your own. Obviously, Luke, obviously you had like the whole situation with the lift stuff and Stenson left, blah, 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 all of that. And it comes to you and you get, you put your name in the hat, I take it. And they said, yes, for the Ryder Cup. Do you automatically start thinking about your team, your players you're going to pick, who you're going to pick, who you've got an eye on already? Is that already going through your head? Yeah, so I got the call, obviously, uh, a few months ago that uh, I was I was going to be put you know in in place of of Henrik and part of the call was that there was going to be a certain things that you had to do and one was we had to go to this year to go event which which I went to a couple of weeks ago and uh we were going to meet the pope and so that's the thing I mentioned to my wife and she seemed way more happy about that than the whole right cuff captaincy so um <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, when I when I found out, I was extremely excited, extremely kind of nervous. Like, oh my god, I'm I'm doing this. Like, you know, am I ready? Uh, you know, I'm still 44 years old, and suddenly I'm going to be the captain. Uh, you know, and, and have can you know, be commanding these 12 guys. You know, you know, what's the plan? And you know, I think it just took a few days to kind of settle in and. Then the, the, the cogs start working and you're thinking, yeah, how, how can we make this uh, be the best best ever and um, give myself give myself and, and the team the best chance to, to win back the cup after what was a pretty disappointing Ryder Cup last year? I'm going to ask you a question, but I'd, I'd like um, maybe just for people who aren't as obsessed with the Ryder Cup as we are, could you just explain how the selection process works and what your influence is over that process? Yeah, you have to set a criteria as captain, uh, you know, get to present what you want to do to the committee uh, on the European tour. Um, how many players you're going to take from the European kind of order of merit, DP World order of merit. Uh, how many you're going to take from like a world ranking system and then how many picks uh, you want. And um, you know, again, we get as captain, we get to put our preferences towards that committee and then they get to decide whether they think that's right or not. And um, yeah, for this year, you know, I went with three off the European Order of Merit, three off the World Rankings and six picks, which, you know, has never been done. We I think four picks is maybe the most we've ever had. Um, but there's a lot of reasons behind it and, and mostly through statistical, statistical analysis. Um, one of my vice captains, Eduardo Molinari, uh, big into statistics. He works with a lot of players, Matt Fitzpatrick, he works with Victor Hovland, a bunch of other good players on the European tour. 
And, uh, you know, I think many picks gives us the best opportunity to have the most informed players, you know, the last two months playing. Um, gives us some flexibility to really figure out what the best p- potential foursomes, four-ball pairings uh, there, there's going to be. And uh, I think ultimately will give me the best opportunity to uh, to win back the Ryder Cup. Over the next year, you're going to get asked a lot of questions about your picks. You're also going to get asked a lot of questions about Liv and the impact that's having on the Ryder Cup. So I hope you don't mind if I just ask one. <laughs> There's always got to be one. It's got to be one. <laughs> it seems so uncertain at the minute and I think a lot of golf fans and probably golfers want to just fast forward to see what the sort of lay of the land's going to be. But how much are you involved as to the RNA and the European Tours position on who can play and who can't? Or are you waiting like everyone else to basically get the news? Yeah, I'm waiting. I don't have that control as captain. You know, this is a, a legal situation that's going through the courts, so it's nothing to do with me. Um, you know, I believe there's um, another hearing in February, um, you know, whether uh, the, the so-called live guys who went to play live uh, will be eligible to be European Tour members or not. And if they aren't, then they're not eligible for Ryder Cup. But uh, until then, yeah, I, I don't have any real clarity on the situation, just like you guys. So I'm really not trying to think about it too much because it's totally out of my control. So you know, again, I'm just uh, in the waiting game, just like everyone else. It's an awkward situation for you, I guess, and you never know, yeah, what's going to happen. But like I've said all along with Europe, there's there's so many good young players at the moment as well, young hungry players. I, I think the team's going to be a great balance of of like Rory Rams, Fitzpatrick, things like that, and then a few uncut gems I almost want to say where they're going to be raw and ready to go and fierce and I think the balance could be really good in that atmosphere and I think there'll be a few players in that atmosphere that will just shine I really do uh, the Ryder Cup's always been a great opportunity for these young hungry guys that you know want to experience like golf at the highest level of anxiousness fear um, just energy, you know, everything that you think about when you want to compete at the top of the top of the game. If you can get through a Ryder Cup and and show, you know, how good you are. I mean, that's that just says a lot about your game and 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 everything. And I'm sure uh, there's going to be some some rookies on this team that we've already seen. You know, some some guys stepping up already. Um, just as soon as that Ryder Cup criteria you know started the, the qualification started you know Bob McIntyre struggling with his game really a few months before that and missing cuts and uh, Guido uh, the same you know guys stepping up because I think it's really is at the top of their priority list to try and make this team because they've watched it as young kids and they've seen that you know these players act differently in Ryder Cups they show way more motion in Ryder Cups they play better in Ryder Cups um, you know, something about playing for a team and playing for something more than just yourself or money or anything like that. You know, you're coming together for, for a common good. I think just, just raise, raises everyone's level of game. And, uh, and that's why, why people want to be involved with it. Talking of that, talking about Medina, talk to me about that, Luke. I mean, it's probably one of the most insane things I've ever seen in golf, that comeback. I mean, for you to be there in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been a part of playing four Ryder Cups and, 
you know, that one, such the highs and lows of, of different emotions. You know, at one point it looked like it was going to be the biggest trouncing we were ever going to take. We were down 10-4 with two matches left on Saturday. Um, Tiger, I was playing against Tiger and Stricker with, with Sergio as my partner. And, you know, we were four up through nine and then suddenly Tiger starts making a bunch of birdies and um, birdies 16 and suddenly we're only only one up and he stuffs it on that par three to four feet and like, oh my God, we're going to lose this game too. I mean, this is this is you know, humiliating. So, obviously, the one of the, my best moments as an individual playing in Ryder Cup be to step up and hit that seven iron inside of Tiger, um, halve the hole in birdies, and then go on to halve the hole and win the match on, on eighteen. You know, um, obviously, Rory and and Poults, well, Poults was you know going mental, uh, making five birdies to finish his match, and and, and suddenly we finally had something good to cheer about and we, we had something positive and then you know Alathabal uh, put me out number one um, in the singles which I was very humbled and excited about and to to go out and play my best match the whole week and, and beat Bubba it was truly a, an amazing comeback an amazing week I don't think the US saw it coming could you give our listeners a little insight into the celebrations after that because we saw a lot of champagne being sort of thrown around from the <laughs> platforms and stuff. But when you're all back and the cameras have gone or maybe the odd camera phone is out, but what, what sort of stuff's going on? I mean, all, all the parties have been fun. You know, I've obviously been lucky to be on play on four and, and be a winning on all four too. So, yeah, those are fun. You know, 2004, we, we closed down an Irish bar just out, outside Detroit till about five in the morning. I think Darren Clark, you know, went straight from the bar, packed his bag, went on the on the on the on the plane back, Virgin, and, and went straight to the bar on the Virgin plane too. So um, he 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 did about thirty hours straight of boozing. I think that, um, on that Ryder Cup. Uh, you know, two thousand six, we went at K Club. David Howe's ripping his shirt off, singing "We Are the Champions." You know, and and some of the US guys come in, and he's like stops for a minute thinks, is this right? And then carries on singing, you know? I mean, uh, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just immense. Uh, it has to be the best party ever. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the captains, you know, you're trying to figure out where we're going to have the party. Um, you know, if win or lose, like, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to win and uh, I want to win, but most of the US always come into our team room. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we, we know how to have a good time. Uh, I remember... One of the players last year came in and said, "Wait, you have you have Guinness on tap here in your tea room?" Oh my god! <laughs> uh, and a funny story, actually. I was I was playing. I went back to Oakland Hills for the first time uh, a few months ago. I had a, a corporate day there, and um, I was playing with one of the members. And they said, "You know, you you you've ever heard of the the story from the Ryder Cup about the bar bills?" And I was like, "No, I never heard that one." He's like. Yeah, apparently that this is folklore in the, within the membership at Oakland Hills. Like the the bar bill for the U.S. at the end of their Ryder Cup was six hundred dollars. And he goes, "I said, what was the European?" He goes, thirty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, we like to have a we like to have a good time. <laughs> That's amazing. No, no bad lights on our uh, in our team room. <laughs> 
broad strokes, I mean, it's it's sort of less a case of like underdogs and favourites now as goodies and baddies. And the European team are the are the goodies, and the Americans are the baddies. <laughs> How much chat is going on between pairings and players out on the course in your experience? And are there players? Because obviously, match play is you know there are a lot of ways you can get in someone's head. But on the course, does does that um, tension ever boil over into a bit of back and forth? Uh, I mean, we've we've seen little spouts uh, and spats, you know, over the years and people calling people on rulings and, you know, back in the Seve in the early days and azing, as I remember. Um, I can't even think of too much, but there's always something going on. Um, but I think it's really an individual thing. You know, I'm kind of I was always a kind of quiet guy. You know, I wasn't one to get too pumped up. Um, some guys really like to get really pumped up. Um, so I think you have to just play to how you usually play and compete the best. So that really depends on an individual level. But I think mostly, you know, because you have your teammate right there by yourself, you're not really talking to your opponents that much. You know, some guys are very friendly, though. You know, there's a lot of good friendships between the the, the European guys and, and the Americans. But, you know, obviously when it comes to game time, it's, you know... Uh, friends with you but uh, I'm gonna try and beat the hell out of you now so um yeah I just think it depends on on every individual kind of characteristic especially I guess if you're playing stateside you don't want to get into some argument and get the crowd on your back right you got to be pretty sort of clever about that where you're going to pick your moments yeah I mean I mean there's obviously 2016 I come back to when Rory and and Reed were playing against each other, and Rory obviously started getting the crowd quite fired up. <laughs> you know, I, in retrospect, you know, I think if if Rory had been pretty quiet, it might have you know dulled down a little bit of what what Patrick was doing with the shushing and all that stuff. You know, maybe it would have taken some of his energy out. So, you know, there's different ways to look at it. Um, you know, obviously in the moment, Rory was was pumped up, and that was just what his reaction was. So. It's hard to go against the, uh, what, what's natural, what comes natural to you. You've uh, spent a bit of time in Rome with uh, Zach Johnson. What's, what's your relationship with him like? It, it, is that sort of a, quite a weird partnership to have in the lead up when you're sort of involved in the planning phase and you're like, there's going to come a point where, you know, our sole aim is to, is to beat the other one? I think we're both competitors and we know that, that you know, we're, we're there to win. Um, I've known Zach a long time. You know, he came onto the scene in probably my third or fourth year on tour in 05 or maybe he had an amazing career on the Hooters toy. Like he won every Hooters event pretty much. He played in in 2004, 2005, something like that. And then quickly gone to some Ryder Cup teams. You know, he was obviously a very talented player and, and what a career he's had. I mean, to win a Masters and to win an Open Championship at St. Andrews, that's, that's you know, Hall of Fame right there. And he's been a, a golfer that, you know, similar sort of way he played the game was similar to mine. You know, he never overpowered golf courses, always relied on his, his strengths of, you know, good wedge play, good putting, good course management, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, within a game that was kind of very power oriented, orientated, he's, he's been very, very successful. And yeah, I think we, we have a lot of mutual respect for each other because our careers have sort of taken sort of some, somewhat similar paths. 
So like the first time you said you met Zach Johns was in Rome, you were in Rome and basically you both went to go and meet the Pope. We did. Um, yeah, it was the last last morning, Wednesday morning and uh, yeah, drove into the Vatican and uh, had a quick meet. We gave him um, from, from the European tour, we gave him a, a, a replica of the Ryder Cup with a little inscription on it and uh, the US gave like a, a beautiful book that was like the history of the Ryder Cup and uh, just a quick handshake. Everything was sort of in Italian so uh, I was trying to figure out what, what he was saying. Apparently the the Pope is a big fan of cricket. He used to play some cricket back in, uh, wait, he's from uh, Argentina, right? He's uh, Argentinian so wow. uh, that was his sport growing up apparently. So he didn't walk into his room and he's there on his putting mat? Sort of uh, asking for some tips. No, he wasn't always putting mad, but he said there's an Irish cardinal that's uh, just joined a few years ago and they're trying to get some golf league going or something. So uh, <laughs> um, who, who, he, he's really into golf, this Irish cardinal. So uh, he, he's been trying to you know, tempt, tempt the Pope into getting more into golf. So <laughs> so cool. They're so cool. <laughs> if only you would turn up with the ashes though, Luke. <laughs> yeah, he would have been well impressed, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> just to maybe move on from the Ryder Cup and talk about your individual career am I right in thinking you once went 449 holes without a three putt no that's not correct John I went 483 holes you are c- <laughs> yes <laughs> so for an amateur listening I mean no one is ever going to get anywhere close to that. But Well, someone did, actually. Really? Yeah. A couple of months later, Frederick Jakobsen beat my record. But he went like 504 or something. Is the sort of secret the quality of the long putting or is it the quality of the short putting or is it both? And how, how do you get anywhere near that sort of level of consistency? I think it does come down to really good speed control. I mean, there's only so many six, seven foot, eight footers you can leave yourself that you eventually you're going to miss one. Um, but if you can keep lagging it around the hole, you know, within that three-foot circle, three-foot circle is kind of the magic number for pros because we make 99.5% of three-footers and in. So um, yeah, I did I did a lot of work, you know, thanks to my, my coach who was back then, Pat Goss. We did a lot of work on speed control. And I just knew that, you know, I was never going to overpower golf courses. So I had a wrist injury in 2008, maybe from trying to, hit the ball a little bit too hard. And uh, I really went back to basics after that and, and just really figured out if I can control getting up and down the ball a little bit better than everyone else, if I can get my wedges a little bit closer than everyone else, if I can putt a little bit better than everyone else, those are where I can gain those marginal gains. And um, obviously I was, that, was, that was really the key to me getting to, to number one in the world. That's the summit of golf. To get to number one, especially the time you did as well, has to be the best feeling ever. Yeah, yeah, it was. And to do it, you know, kind of the way I did it, I see at Wentworth, which is you know, 30 minutes away from where I grew up, uh, you know, head-to-head in a playoff with Lee Westwood, who was number one at the time. I mean, it doesn't get much more special than that with having your family and friends there cheering you on. I, I, I think it's incredible. So we're putting together the Dream Golf Club here at Beef's Golf Club. Okay. Before we ask you for a couple of tips for... Uh, for the clubhouse and the course what are your favorite clubs to, to play at and what are your favorite clubhouses people always ask me uh, what's your favorite course you know where do you like to play and i never really tell them it's one that i play on tour like a tory pines uh, 7700 yards it's a beautiful place up against the pacific ocean but 
and we get I get tired of playing these long slogging golf courses so you know I love courses that are fun that aren't that that long that you can make a bunch of birdies that have great characteristics um architectural characteristics from kind of the golden age you know redans and berets and um courses that are just fun to look at um and you know I think technology really hasn't helped 98% of golfers out there so you know why why are we trying to make these long tough golf courses you know for the 2% of the pros when when really the best golf courses that I've played are, are some of the gems like you know I don't know even old stuff like St Andrews and um you know, got national golf links over in 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 New York you know have have all these great features and they they're not 7500 yards they're you know maxing out at 7000 maybe um and, and they're just fun for everyone to play definitely as you know mate as well that's part of beef's golf club we're building basically the greatest golf club ever what would you want in your dream golf club and clubhouse what things would you want what's important to you i think just a relaxed atmosphere so you definitely don't want it too stuffy you know the rules would be just respecting your fellow golfer i think you know um Uh, I don't know just I think you know golf needs to be more uh, welcoming to to everyone um something with a very chill vibe that's definitely the route it's going on 100% it's definitely chilled and what we do is we ask all our guests one rule to add to the list of commandments we have here at the club John what are some of the uh, rules we've got so far mate uh, the, the only dress code at Beef's Golf Club is have a look in the mirror mate and we reserve the right to bring a mirror if we feel it's necessary uh amateur golfers are allowed a, fi- a maximum of 50 balls at the range because it never does you any good to hit any more <laughs> than that what else have we got uh oh there's a yellow card and a red card for talking about your round so if you're having a chat with uh beef and he starts going on about this uh, up and down he made from 180 yards you show him a yellow card when he then talks about the break of the putt when he went, got the putt in, you could hold up a red card and say, right, that's enough of chat of that. Let's go to the milkshake bar. Pace of play. Yeah, we've got pace of play too. Tony Finau, if it was over three hours 15, he will come around and politely tell you to leave the golf club. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be beyond the skill of most golfers, but we're, we're keeping it there just because it means we've yeah. got Tony as our sort of uh, marshal. Tony shoots like 59 every other week, so I mean, it's quite <laughs> yeah. easy when you're only taking 59 shots. <laughs> My rule is, you know, competition is important. So you've got to have bet something on 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 the on your match. You know, if you're playing with a mate, you've got to bet something. Whether it's a pound, whether it's a beer. Uh, but if it's a monetary thing, you have to have it in your wallet when you play. You cannot Venmo. You cannot. You've got to swap hard cash at the end of the tour, <laughs> at the end of the round because, and it has to be immediate. That's my. That's my uh, that's my rule. Nothing worse than playing and then go. Oh, I don't have the money. I'll give it to you later. And then you know, nah. That's sorry. If you're gonna bet, you better have the money with you. That's a great rule. So if you're gonna bet, have the money with you or the money for the pint. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you got it with you on the course. I love that rule. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Don't bet we haven't got. Luke, obviously, probably in about three or four months you're going to start looking at the form of a lot of players. Beef uh, recently played uh, a round of golf against yours truly. Um, 
Would you say that whoever won that match might be in a in with a shout of a captain's pick between me and Beef? Well, especially as, as you're intimating that you may have pipped Beef. You know, Beef, European star. Mm-hmm. Lots of credentials behind him. Um, you know, I'd have to take a serious look, I think. A serious look, that is that is interesting. Um, I mean, Beef is back from injury now. How much stick would you get from the press if you picked him? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have six six picks. Uh, you know, looking for some humour in the team room. Looking for uh, you know someone who's always smiling, up for a good time. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising, would it? <laughs> to to be brutally honest, at the start of this year, I had one goal, and that was to get in to the Ryder Cup in Italy over the next two years. And obviously, this year has gone horribly wrong, but. I'm still not counting myself yeah. out, to be totally honest. But yeah, it's been a bit of a kick. How are you feeling? Are you feeling better? Are you going to be getting out there again? I've been hitting balls now for a little bit. Um, I might play in a couple of weeks. We'll see. It's a bit unknown. It's quite scary time at the moment with my hand. Right. So yeah, hopefully hopefully I'll be back sooner than later. If not, hopefully by Jan. And uh, it's still, it's still going to be my my focus and my goal so hey, I, had a, I had a wrist surgery in 2008 I miss, I had to miss the Ryder Cup that year because of it and you know three years later I was number one in the world beef so you know sometimes these these can be good times to reflect and get yourself in the right frame of mind and uh, you'll be back stronger than ever I think beef would be such an asset for the European team he's gonna lift people's spirits and like true. last Last time, there was a lot of controversy about the captain's picks. People saying that, you know, the captain's picks were too old. They scored over the half of the points against America last time, the captain's picks. So, room for a little beef on the side. Hey, still time, you know. Still time to make it automatically. Yeah, everyone wants to make it automatic. If my hand's still uh, not right and I'm playing shit, if you need someone to come and cheer up the crowd and sing some songs on the first tee, I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Love to. <laughs> oh, Luke, thank you so much for joining us here at Beef's Golf Club. It's been an absolute honour to speak to you, especially given the many uh, demands on your time at the minute. I'm sure you're about to go and look at samples for uh, for sh- shirt fabric and um, cuts of trouser and stand positions, but it's really been a fantastic treat to chat to you. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, yeah, best of luck with everything. Yeah, mate, thanks so much, and yeah, good luck. I'll be here to support him. Cheers, Beef. Yeah, good luck with you, yourself. Hope, uh, hope the hand's behaving. Mate, how cool was Luke Donald? Oh, amazing. Amazing. What an insight, and what struck me is like how much of what he's doing is not like directly about his players and tactics. It's like about what colour the rooms are painted and where the stands face. It's like he's organising the most stressful wedding in history and he's in charge of absolutely everything. (laughs) If you were picked for the team, what would you be most looking forward to, apart from obviously teeing it up? probably the the locker room dressing room the players lounge see what how different it is to any other players lounge we get every week um i think if i was 
Captain, I wonder, see, I wonder if he has like some kind of budget. I'd blow all my budget on food and booze. That'd be my problem. So I'd probably go like Sports Direct for outfits because I'll save like, what was he talking about? They were like, it's like 800 quid for a t-shirt or something. So I'd forget that. And then I'd look at getting some of the best chefs. We're in Rome. I'll get one of the best chefs you could find in Italy, bring him over and just do all my budget on that. And what's this Ferv clique? No, f- get, get that out of the way. Get Don Perry on in or something like that for the after party. And I think I'll just do all my budget like that. I can just imagine the commentators on Sky being like, well, Beef Johnson walks out with his European team. And as the press have said, they're in Dunlop this year. <laughs> uh, all of them wearing just plain, plain black Dunlop. It's going to be the same outfit each day. Um... So surprised, but maybe it'll give them the edge. <laughs> anyway, exciting news, guys. Uh, if you are listening on Apple and you want this podcast without adverts, you can hit their subscribe button and you'll get ad-free access to this show and all of Crowd's other sports shows. What have we got coming up next week, Beef? Well, mate, we need to chat about the pro shop at Beef's Club. Oh, yeah. I think um, we haven't gone into much detail on that, and it's a big part. we got to work out what we're stocking, what equipment, uh, what snacks, um, but we've also got another fantastic guest, so tune in next week, folks. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.